It's good to be here. It's good to be with you. Um, you are my favorite people. And this is one of my favorite places to be. Other places I'd like to be around 9 o'clock is in bed. But I always look forward to seeing you here. So, so we're in Luke, of course, and we're going to get kind of dive right into it here. We're a little bit short on time today. So a little bit of a review, not much of one. Luke 22, verses 31 through 39. We're not going to read all of those, but I just want to read these verses to you, and we'll, I think it will jog your memory a little bit and maybe set the stage. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned away, strengthen your brothers. So these two scriptures is what our study centered upon last week. We had three points last week. We're not so fortunate this week, so I hope you enjoyed the three points from last week. Satan makes a demand. Jesus grants the demand. And the purpose served by the demand. So when uh, Jesus grants the demand, things don't always go how we plan. But things always go according to God's plan. That's one of the points we made last week. And the second point was this, under that heading, that Jesus grants the demand. What we believe we need is rarely the same as what God knows that we need. And finally, Jesus chose to meet Simon's need through prayer. Jesus did not pray for Simon Peter to be spared the testing and suffering. He prayed that his faith would not fail as a result or in the midst of his testing and suffering. Faith that does not fail in spite of suffering grows stronger. Jesus knew the kind of faith Simon Peter would need to fulfill his ministry. And he knew what it would take for Peter to develop that kind of faith. And Simon's suffering was ordained by God from the very beginning so that he might be able to encourage, according to Scripture, others through his testimony. So here's a new question. What purpose might your suffering be serving right now? Where is God, where is God trying to strengthen your faith? Depending where you are in life, this question takes on maybe a little different of an urgency. As we grow older in life, <clears throat> the questions about retirement bother us a little more than when we were asked at age 18, what do you want your retirement to look like? So the question is, how is God creating within you something that you will be able to use for His glory? So this is where we pick up our story this morning, Luke 22 Verse 31, just going to repeat it, and then we get on. Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, <clears throat> that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, this is the typical response we might expect from impetuous Simon Peter. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration... Uh, the glory of God is shining down and up. Christ is ensconced in his glory. And there's two other people there. And Simon Peter's question was, shall I make shelter for these people? And so you look at this and you're thinking, the one thing I like about Simon Peter is he was ambitious. 
And we look back on that <clears throat> and we think, <clears throat> Simon Peter, couldn't you have come up with a better question than that? Obviously, no. So my confession to you this morning is that of all the apostles, I probably relate the most to Simon Peter and Thomas. Peter was impetuous and Thomas doubted. So I'm an impetuous doubter by nature. By the way, this doesn't look good on a spiritual resume if you're thinking about that. Imagine me in a job interview for another church. By, by the way, you don't have to imagine that. But can you imagine? So, Pastor, how would you describe your spiritual personality? In other words, through what lens do you view what God has called you to do? My answer, I am an impetuous doubter. Excuse me. I'm an impetuous doubter. What does that even mean, Mr. Shoemate? Not pastor anymore, Mr. Shoemate. Well, I am passionate. And I have some doubts, not about my faith. Mr. Shoemate, do you believe that this will instill confidence in the flock with whom you serve? I doubt it. Jesus is confronting Simon Peter, and Simon Peter responds with this, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That is quite a statement. And I believe, by the way, that Simon was sincere. I believe that he actually believed that his faith was that strong and why would he believe this? Well, he might believe this because he had spent the last three years of his life walking very close to Jesus. He fellowshiped with him daily. They shared meals together. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He witnessed demons fleeing from Jesus. His eyes were open to the wisdom of the Scriptures through Jesus. And he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And perhaps most significantly... He and all of them had been under the care and protection of Jesus. And perhaps they had grown a bit comfortable in their roles. Think about this. My guess is that if you've known the Lord for very long, you can identify seasons in your life when you were not so close to Him, and then seasons in your life when you were very close to Him. <clears throat> and then it probably varied from here and from there and, and all of those things. But my thought is this, when, when you feel the close to Jesus Christ, by the way, you are never closer one day than you are another day to Jesus if, you, if you're a believer. Jesus lives within you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And no matter how close you feel to Jesus, you are no closer to Jesus when you're feeling not so close than you were when you feel very close. You either have Jesus Christ or you don't. And He's never closer or further away. <clears throat> and I think there's times when we feel closer to Him and we feel that maybe we're a little bit invincible even. Sometimes that brings a confidence with us or a comfort with us that is not good. And then maybe... Out of God's love for you, He brings something into your life that just jars you or shakes you. 
But I do understand how it can happen. We might find ourselves in a discipleship group or Sunday school class that inspires us to participate above and beyond normal levels of involvement. Perhaps it's an ongoing service project or a prison ministry or ministering to a single mom. And as a result, that group might become their own subculture. Stay with me. We're going someplace. Or their own little church. There are strengths within these groups that are unique and that their identities become one with the group. You begin to experience a type of camaraderie with one another. And camaraderie can be very powerful. Camaraderie is something that happens in a select group of people who are experiencing the same thing at the same time which in turn bonds them together in an extraordinary way. One of the results of this bonding can be a sense of invincibility. A little bit of an illustration. Kim and I lived in Nashville before we moved into this area, and we were a part of a pretty large Southern Baptist church, good church. And then in our church in Nashville, the youth group became a type of subculture within our flock. the fact that they met in a separate building on the same property kind of enhanced that. Now, the youth pastor was a strong leader and very sincere and strong in his faith. And he was a people magnet. As an example, every year they did what I call an anti-Halloween drama where thousands of people filed through and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well presented, by the way. The preparation for this drama took weeks of volunteers transforming the youth building into a walk-through set. And those faithful volunteers drew very close and formed a unique bond. Now, our prayer meeting met at the same time, in another building, in the main building. And some of our adults were going to the youth group as advisors, I think, to some degree, perhaps, because of the energy and camaraderie. And they were indeed being ministered to as well. And by the way, energy and camaraderie are wonderful things. The danger is that these groups can become an entity within an entity or a church within a church. I was talking with someone yesterday. He was a member of a really large active church in central Ohio. And the church was known for their Christmas and Easter spectaculars. You know, they brought in camels and donkeys and uh, horses. and I mean, it was just like you were sitting in the midst of it. And they did this Christmas and I believe Easter as well. To tell the story. Thousands of people came through. There was a change in leadership. And the leadership said, we're not going to do those for a while. Within two or three years, the church died. It split. No, no, it didn't split. It just died. And that's an example of us being so connected with other people 
in a ministry that we lose sight of the big picture. Key to a healthy church group, small group, is a leader. The leader must keep their eye on the big picture and make sure that the purpose of the small group works in tandem toward fulfilling the purpose of the whole group. I think Kim and I saw that at Two Rivers, too. I mean, it, was, it wasn't because of sin. So what does this have to do with Jesus and Simon Peter's conversion or conversation, I mean? Well, Jesus was the leader of their small group. They had experienced things that no one else on earth or in human history had experienced or will experience in the same way. Twelve men walking with God physically. They were emboldened and confident and Jesus was about to send them out on their own and Jesus absolutely knew what they would suffer. And this was his chosen moment to launch them into the world. Jesus always had his eye on the big picture. When he rode in on what we call Palm Sunday, they had their eyes on their future king and his eyes were on the cross. He always knew the big picture and he was faithful to the big picture. And in view of this big picture... Jesus prayed for Simon Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now that comes out of John 17. And that scripture is on your scripture sheet, by the way. Can I read just a little bit more of you from John 17? Concerning the rest of his prayer. Beginning with verse 12. John 17, 12. While I was with them. He's talking to his father. And this... Listen to this. While I was with them, God, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, not the name he had given him, but he said, these 12 you've given me, you're the one that gave them to me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So why was Judas lost? Because Jesus did not have the ability to keep him? No. He says, because it was prophesied that Judas would fail. I have kept the twelve until now. And the only reason I lost the twelfth one is because it was to fulfill Scripture. In verse 13, he says, but now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world. Now, I'm going to ask a series of questions as we go through these Scriptures. These things I speak in the world. So the the question is, why? Why would he speak what he's about to speak? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So one of Christ's ultimate concerns is that the joy they have is fulfilled in Jesus. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Why? Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Well, where can we find that? Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate, which means I offer myself up 
Why would I do that? So that they also may be sanctified in truth. But wait, there's more. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm asking this, says Jesus, not just for the apostles, but for those who will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through my gospel, which these apostles are now carrying into a world that despises them. And do you believe in Jesus? Have you in this room received Jesus Christ? Then Jesus Christ knew your name when he was praying this prayer. Isn't that amazing? He first prays for Peter because Peter is going to be sifted. He's going to have the tar shaken out of him. Then he says, but I not only pray for him, but I pray for these other 11. And not only pray for the other 11, but I pray for all of those who are going to come to love me and to know me through the power that these 11 men are taking out. This is us. He's praying for us. Those who have received Christ. You and me, the impetuous doubter. So what is he requesting of his heavenly Father on our behalf? Verse 23. And they, including us, may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Why would he ask this? That they also may be in us. Are you getting this? The reason I'm asking this is so that they may be one. Community. Camaraderie, a vision, a purpose. They all may be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you. Why? That also, that they also may be in us. Now, we hear that a lot in prayers and benedictions. We hear that a lot in songs. But think about this for a minute. We are in Christ Jesus God the Father and the Holy Spirit is within us. We're not second string. We're not third string. We're not the reserve. When you make a decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in Christ who is in God. It gets better. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Let me back up one. They also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is the purpose of Christ dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, us receiving him, and being in one another and in Christ Jesus and God? What's the purpose? So that the world may believe that God the Father sent God the Son. You see how much this doesn't deal with how to live in a corrupt culture if you're a Christian? You see how much this doesn't deal with any of that? Because it doesn't matter. It's not our home. We don't need to be told how to live. Just read the Bible. But that's not what the Bible's about either. The Bible is about Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament. Revelation. 
Stay tuned for that one. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one even as we are one. Now think about that. How one is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's no division. There's no disagreement. There's no no hesitancy. To do what? So they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me. Why is that important? That they may become perfectly one. Think there's a theme here? Why? So that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them even as you loved me. Now that is huge. It's difficult for me to believe that God loves me as much as he loves his son. Because I know me. You know, the impetuous doubter. That's me. I get frustrated. I lose my place in the music. I lose my place in my sermons. I don't study as much as I should. I don't do as much as I can. You know what? If your salvation or if your view of your relationship with Jesus Christ is based upon that, you are, my guess is, you're frustrated and sad. Maybe not. You may have moments when because you're really following Christ, now you feel good. He wants us to be perfectly one with Him. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, you talk about a treasure chest of scriptures spoken by Jesus Christ that affirms His great love for us. And by the way, eternal security. I see no place, I I see no however in here. There's no however in this prayer. It's all about becoming one. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised again. And this is my prayer before I go because I have this band of people right here around me. And I'm turning them over. And they are going to suffer. This is his preparation prayer. And what is the final message here? What is this all about? So the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even in the same way as you loved me. Makes John 3.16 come alive for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So back to our story. Jesus knew that Peter truly believed what he was saying. However, Jesus also knew what Simon's immediate future held. Jesus is well aware of Satan's battle plan. He not only wanted to and would sift Simon like wheat, he wanted to and would sift all of his disciples like wheat. Are you above being sifted? So with all of this in mind, let's read Christ's response to Simon Peter. When he said, I will go to the cross, I will go to jail with you or for you, and I will, I will die for you. And this is, this is Jesus' response. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day 
until you deny me three times that you even know me. This is after the declaration. Now, Jesus had prayed that prayer. I believe that for Peter, Christ's words were incomprehensible. I really do. Not because he didn't, he couldn't understand them, but because he did understand them. It was incomprehensible because what Jesus had said to him was unthinkable at that moment in his life. Simon truly believed in his heart that he could do exactly what he said he would do. Ever been overconfident? So here's the paraphrase. Peter proclaimed with great confidence that he would follow him to prison or the grave. And Jesus responded, Peter, you won't even make it through the night. You won't even make it through the night. Until you deny me. Three times. So... Jesus and Simon have had this difficult exchange and then Jesus turns to the remaining 11 apostles. This is what he says to them, verse 35, Luke 22. He said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. And he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Well, that's a little bit of a reversal. Jesus is referencing his instructions to them in Luke 10. One, read this for you. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So what's behind this scripture? And why would Jesus reference this one? Well, Jesus was sending them in advance to towns that he would soon visit. And he would be with them. They would be under his care and protection. But now Jesus is saying very simply, they must begin to think differently. After I leave, recognize this, things are going to change. And he is warning them that their small group was about to lose their leader. And that the safety and protection they had enjoyed because of his presence was about to end. He is saying the time is near when you must apply everything I have taught you. I have been preparing you for this moment. You will need each other now more than ever. It's hard to believe sometimes, but at the most difficult moment you are experiencing, God has already prepared you for that moment. And you know, sometimes if, if we're weak physically or emotionally or spiritually or all those things together, we think, God, where are you? And I think what sometimes he just wants to say, I've been 
I am where I've always been. I'm on the throne. And by the way, I've been preparing you for this. Think. Just think. I think he says that to me all the time. Tom, just think. Just think about this. I've not left you defenseless. I have given you everything you need to walk through this. You will need each other now more than ever. God says, I've given you family. This was lost on them at the moment. But we know by reading the book of Acts and the various letters from the apostles, after the resurrection of Jesus, they got it. They began to understand it. And in the next sentence, he further reveals to the apostles that he is their Messiah. Verse 37, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he gives them part of the scripture, and this is it. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For that is written about me has its fulfillment. It says, I am the fulfillment of the scripture. I want to read from Isaiah where he quoted this scripture because it is a phenomenal passage. Isaiah 53, 1 says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, meaning Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. How is Jesus born and to whom and under what circumstances? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born of griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Which means we must turn back, by the way, to be saved. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He has laid on him all of our sins. Every single sin. Every thought. Every action. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of many people, who did that? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This brings us to the scripture, the very scripture he quoted, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus says, you know, this scripture, and he quoted this little scripture, he says, I'm the fulfillment of this scripture. They had no concept what all that meant. They graduated from being a small group of bent nails who were discipled by Jesus and enjoying the camaraderie that came with it. He was graduating them to those with whom Jesus entrusted his gospel. John seventeen twenty one that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So we end our time this morning with a brief explanation of Luke twenty two thirty eight because it was a scripture that is kind of hanging there, dangling there from what, we're, what we've been saying, and it used to bother me. And they said, Lord, Lord, there are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough, because you remember what he said was, trade your knapsack in, trade your sandals in, and get a sword. That's how I read it. Of course, they immediately respond. Look, we have two swords with us right now. And Jesus says, it is enough. Now, there's not really much of an explanation here. Sounds like maybe there should be. New Living Translation says it this way. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. He said, that's enough. The message says it this way. Look, Master, two swords. But he said, enough of that. No more sword talk. Now, I'm not sure which way he responded, because how he responded would have told the story. But this is what we do know. Either way, Jesus was not calling them to violence. He was simply stating that the opposition they had encountered to his gospel up to this point would pale in comparison to the opposition they would encounter after he left. He said, you know what? The time has come. So there's this saying that's out there, right? And you may not know it, and maybe you do, I don't know. But when you're, running, when you're trying to explain to someone that um, it's time to get serious, there's a saying out there that says, it's time to put on your big boy pants. That's what Jesus was saying. It's time to put on your big boy robes. School's out. I prepared you. And everything is hanging in the balance. Everything.
So think about this for just a moment. Of all the resources that were at Christ's disposal, all of the brilliant thinkers, politicians, artists, philosophers, warriors, statesmen, and scholars, he chose 12 blue-collar workers with whom he would entrust the only true message of salvation for the human race. And at the exact moment that God had ordained, Satan approaches Jesus Christ and he is focused on one man, Simon Peter. I believe all of heaven was watching as Satan was given permission to try to destroy Peter's faith. It's a pivotal moment. And Jesus said, yes, you may try. Why is this important? Well, I can tell you why it's important to me. There are times when I feel like such a failure. I feel as though if there was a better way of messing something up, I would find it and do it. I would somehow find it and do it in a big way. Sometimes I'm exhausted by the baggage I carry with me from my past. You know, the only one that remembers my past more, if you believe that when you receive Christ, God forgets your sins and forgives those sins and never looks back. The enemy remembers my sins a lot. I'm constantly reminded of dumb things I have done and good people who were probably hurt by those things. I'm glad I'm 64 because there's less time for me to hurt more people. In essence, I feel unworthy and ill-equipped. But before some of you say, look, that is a lack of faith on your part, or get over and put on your big boy pants, can I tell you I know that? A friend of mine once said to me, if God had someone better to do what He has called you to do, they would be doing it instead of you. I don't know what you all did to deserve this, but hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then I think about 12 blue-collar workers with whom Jesus trusted the gospel message. God has always used people to reach people. I always find it somewhat humorous. I never used to find this humorous, but I find it humorous now. Churches go through difficult times, you know. Sometimes someone leaves the flock and half the flock goes with them or something like that. And what they say is, well, those people are just following the man. Well, people have always followed the man. (laughs) Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't need us. I'm not saying their choice was right. But what I am saying is this, people always reach people. Organizations cannot build kingdoms and corporations cannot build empires. Not Not in the church. That's what they do build. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are a believer, you are uniquely qualified and personally chosen to share the gospel of Jesus Christ where God has placed you. Or He would have someone else there. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and you have been uniquely chosen to be here this morning to hear the gospel... And this is the gospel. 
Jesus is the Son of God. He was indeed born of a virgin. He did suffer and die upon a cross for our sins. He was buried and He rose from the grave and He is now seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places and He knows your name. I'll leave you with this, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, Paul is saying, but I press on to make my own, to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. However inadequate you may feel, however many failures you're carrying around with you is like notches on a belt, whatever any of that means, God already knew all of that, and he still chose you. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, and and here's the solution. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and you believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that doesn't make you a believer. It just makes you informed. The Bible says this, you have to repent and receive. What does repent mean? It means you acknowledge that the life you're living is not a life secured in the hand of Christ. And it means that you have sins in your life. And someone's going to pay for those sins. And it can be you, or it can be Jesus. Repent says, I confess those things, and now I receive Christ. Lord, I receive you in my life and my heart. And don't expect fireworks or bands. You may get those. I didn't. God says, okay. And you're saved. Lord, we just ask that we can be reminded that as you prepared your apostles to go out into the world and carry your gospel. You are compelling us to do the same thing. I'm so glad I wasn't one of the twelve. And you decided to save me out of the world. Knowing I hadn't earned it, I didn't deserve it. But that your word is true and it's forever. Lord, we're grateful. May we be faithful to the people that you bring us into contact with this week. That doesn't mean that we pull out John 3.16 and shout at them. It just simply means that you tell us what to do and we follow. For it's in God's holy and precious name we pray and for the glory of Jesus. Amen. If you would like to pray, we'd love to pray with you. Blessings.